It's again a privilege and a joy that we have to gather together on this Sunday afternoon. The appreciation of God's beautiful blessings toward us and allowing us the health and the well-being to come together as we are even at this moment. And the blessedness that surrounds us is only extended when we have opportunity to open the blessed pages of the Word of God and to be enriched and enthralled by our study therein. It still is the case, as Paul declared to the Romans, that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by hearing the Word of God, in fact. The statements to be found as we look in both Old and New Testament remind us that though those matters that were written even in Old Testament days occurred so very long in the past from our perspective, still the examples in their lives, whether they be good or bad, can challenge us in what to do in some instances and what not to do in others. Tonight as we return to the book of First Chronicles, we will notice as was read a moment ago by Lucas from the fourth chapter of that book, and it is to that chapter I would invite your attention again, we'll revisit the interesting character known as Jabez. The prayer of Jabez is here recorded, and some rather interesting features about this man can be drawn from that text. By way of introduction, could it not well be said in regard to this man named Jabez that he is mentioned very, very infrequently in the Word of God? In fact, as we scrutinize and look with depth and care, we find that he is mentioned but one time in all of the Holy Scriptures, and it is the text before us tonight. Not mentioned previous to it, not mentioned any time after. It's as though on this stage of biblical history, this man appears only briefly, and the Holy Spirit saw fit to record for us this brief aspect of his life, and perhaps we could appreciate there's some valuable lessons that you and I may extract from it. Many, many years ago, this man lived. It's a bit difficult to exactly ascertain the time frame, but based on the fact that it's here mentioned in Chronicles, we might well understand it's at least several thousand years ago from our perspective. The thought, though, that this brief mention challenges us to note that his prayer includes some rather interesting thoughts, and you and I shall discuss them at length in our study tonight. Without further ado, in regard to that thought, I would invite you to again read with me verses 9 and 10 of First Chronicles, chapter number 4. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. It might well be fair to make a few observations about that text as a whole before we look more minutely at the things to be found in it. And the observations that seem to be most in order are these. First of all, from the very context of it, we will remember that the first 11 chapters of First Chronicles can be a bit of difficult reading, at least at times, given the lengthy listing of the individuals begotten by various others. It is, in fact, a lengthy genealogical list, isn't it? As one peruses that, however, we should not bypass the fact that the Holy Spirit saw fit to include these genealogies, and hence they are important, not the least of which to say that one could prove when the Christ did come by referring to these genealogies that he was who the Old Testament prophets prophesied him to be. In fact, isn't it interesting 
that not one time in the New Testament epistles or in the New Testament gospel accounts even did any of the Jews allege that Jesus did not satisfy the genealogical records that was prophesied of, of him. After all, the prophets said he'd be a son of David and a son of Abraham and a son of Zerubbabel, just to name three. Because of tables of genealogies like these, they could look to those tables and trace Jesus' genealogy just as both Luke and Matthew did, directly back to individuals recorded in the Old Testament. Not one time did they ever question that aspect of the Savior. But also notice something else about these genealogies. As one arrives at chapter 4 of this book, the very first four words say, The sons of Judah, 1 Chronicles 4 verse 1, as details about the various individuals and the, those born to them were given, Judah is the one of interest as we arrive at chapter 4. We will remember that Judah was the fourth oldest son of Jacob, and hence he would have been one of those interesting descendants of Abraham, Isaac as well. As we come, though, to Judah, we have studied on Sunday mornings in the Bible study hour about the fact that he was the very tribe from whom our Savior was born, Hebrews 7, verse 14. That thought alone leads us to appreciate some knowledge about the family and the tribe and the lineage of Judah would have been valuable. In this chapter, that lineage is set before us. Our interest is only Jabez, and he was one of the members of that tribe, one of the descendants of Judah. In verses 9 and 10, might we also notice, again, these features and these aspects of the name. His mother gave him a somewhat interesting name. From our perspective today, it may not have been the happiest of names that his mother chose to name him. Notice again, closing part of verse 9, because I bear him with sorrow. It may have been that there was rather great travail or pain, if you will, in childbirth with regard to his mother bearing him. At any rate, in the Hebrew language, that word as it appears means as follows, as I've tried to indicate on the screen. It means to grieve, to be in pain, or to be sorrowful. Usually one would think that the birth of a child is a happy event, that the birth of a baby boy or a baby girl is a time to celebrate and a time to experience the grandeur of the time of joyous birth. However, his mother chose apparently to name him something related to pain, something related to grief and sorrow. Perhaps some have thought, that is, some commentators, the scriptures do not exactly tell us. Perhaps there was an extraordinary amount of pain in regard to his birth. Whatever the cause was, his name means in grief or to be in pain or to in fact have a note of sorrow. That thought will be meaningful as we arrive at verse 10 in just a moment. But might we also make one more comment. In regard to verse number 9, isn't it interesting that this statement is made about him? The very first reference in all the Holy Scripture to Jabez is this. He was more honorable than his brethren. Despite his name, he lived above the nature of what his name may have meant with regard to something negative like pain or like sorrow or grief. He was more honorable than his brethren. Isn't it true that though Judah was the family through whom the Christ would come, and that he thus bore a tremendous privilege and blessing in regard to Jacob's sons, it still is the case that Judah and his children did not always act so wisely. 
We have recently learned on Sunday morning, haven't we, that Judah's two oldest sons, Ur and Onan, God slew them because of their wickedness. God took their lives. Genesis 38, the first nine verses of that chapter. In fact, later on in that same chapter, did we not also learn that Judah himself committed fornication with his own daughter-in-law, thinking her to be a prostitute? That doesn't speak terribly highly of Judah himself, nor his children, does it? And yet, here was Jabez, a member of that same family, and he was more honorable than his brethren. That immediately leads us to see one valuable lesson. Just because perhaps our forefathers or our parents or our grandparents or even our siblings may choose unwisely from time to time and make foolish decisions in their life, that does not mean that we must do the same. You and I can live intact with the Word of God and rise above the mundane matters of sin around us. Our name doesn't have to mean things that are so negative just because it has been so in the past. We each shall stand individually and give answer to God. Did not Paul instruct the Romans in that regard in Romans 14, 12? So then every one of us shall give account of himself, singular pronoun, to God. That helps us see that though others in our family and friends and neighbors may choose unwisely and may act in ways that are needless to say questionable, you and I do not have to allow their decisions to reflect so negatively upon ourselves and our decisions. That's an interesting thought indeed, isn't it? That thought helps us see also that re with regard to Jabez, despite his name, that part is very complimentary of him. But that leads us to notice what shall come in verse number 10. Let's begin to look also at that passage and at that text and notice the statements further made by him. <clears throat> and Jabez called on the God of Israel. This is our first lesson of the next segment of our time together tonight. Jabez called on the God of Israel. Is it not also a secondary and grand lesson also that here was a man who chose not to languish in the sea of ignorance and to try to find his own pathway through life based on his intellect and his knowledge and his perception? He called on the God of Israel. That's a dramatic lesson for each of us even till this day. We live in an era and in, in a time, especially since the days of the scientific revolution and past that, that man tries to rely upon his capability to figure things out, that he can come up with the solutions, that he can make his own pathway through the arena of this life and safely land at the desired destination. If there is one lesson throughout the entirety of the Word of God, it's that man cannot do that. In fact, Jeremiah bluntly made this statement to those of his day in Jeremiah 10 verse 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Satan uses that as a very strong tool of temptation, doesn't he? to try to lead us to see and to think, well, God may have said that, but he didn't mean it. You can make your own way. You can safely arrive at a destination that leads pleasingly to hereafter. It is not so. We must, in fact, call upon God just as Jabez did if we expect to be pleasing and right before him. Think of the ways otherwise in the Bible that that very thought is presented. I've listed some passages for your consideration in addition to the Jeremiah one. 
Notice specifically in Romans 10 verses 13 and following. Again to the Roman brethren. Paul made observation to them, especially in verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Might we notice if language means anything, and certainly the words of the Holy Spirit would, Proverbs 30 verses 5 and 6, we see that those that are saved are those who have appropriately and rightly called on the God of heaven. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord are the ones that shall be saved. Is it any wonder that Peter quoted from the Old Testament and even on the day of Pentecost, the first gospel sermon included that same statement, Acts chapter 2, verse 21. On that occasion, the quotation that Peter made use of was found in Joel 2, verse 32, and as he applied it, it was necessary on Pentecost to call on the God of Israel. As we contemplate then the New Testament specifics of the way in which one calls upon God, it is not merely, of course, a verbal mouthing of God's name, for that isn't enough. Is it still not the case for Matthew 7 when Jesus made the statement that there would come a day when some would say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Here is an explicit statement that some had called on his name in the sense of mouthing his name. But apparently, and rather clearly, that was not sufficient to result in their salvation. For the next verse, the Lord pronounced that this is what he would say to them. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. That leads us to see that this matter of calling upon God as it's explained in the New Testament, involves more than a verbal pronouncement of Jesus' name. Back to that Romans text. We would do well not to bypass the verses that follow. Whereas in verse 13 the statement had been made, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14 goes on to say, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? The necessity of hearing, the necessity of believing. And notice in verse 10 of the very same chapter, the necessity of confession. We also should appreciate that when Ananias told Saul in Acts twenty-two sixteen, the man that we've come to know of as Paul, he said, And now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? It was then instrumental and essential that Saul, in fact, be baptized in the act of calling on the name of the Lord. Even as you and I had the blessed joy of witnessing a baptism this morning, Casey called on the name of the Lord as she completed those prerequisite acts to baptism and was immersed with her Savior in the watery grave of baptism. That's a wonderful thing indeed. Now, Jabez lived in a day and in a time prior to the gospel mission as you and I know it today in the New Testament. But he called on the God of Israel. He knew he needed guidance from above. He knew he needed direction that he himself was unable to provide by his own knowledge and his own degree of wisdom. That interesting feature perhaps leads us to see yet a second lesson. In addition to that, in verse number 10, we notice that it says, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. We have a specific statement then that Jabez was desirous of God blessing him. Could it be charged that Jabez was selfish? 
Could it be charged that that was an inappropriate wish or an inappropriate desire upon his part? I think not. And I think, in fact, because God granted his wishes at the close of verse 10, we can directly conclude that this was not an inappropriate request upon his part. In fact, is it not true that we often pray for God's blessing upon us? I suspect hardly a prayer of ours, either collectively or privately, ever passes, but what we beseech God to shower upon us safety, and we thank Him for the blessings of the various things in our life. We know that He holds all things in the palm of His hand, and we, in fact, beseech His blessings upon our behalf. There is nothing inappropriate about that. Even Jabez appreciated that very thought, did he not? We, in fact, stand in dire need of God's blessings upon us. In Psalm 36, verse 6, for example, even David made a statement in which he was also interested and desirous of God's blessings upon him. How can we forget the example of Solomon in 1 Kings 3, beginning in verse 7? On that occasion, when Solomon ascended to the throne and was now the king of Israel, did he not, in fact, specifically desire what would allow him to be a better ruler. The scene is a very compelling one. God, in fact, appeared to him at Gibeon and said, Ask anything, Solomon, and I shall grant it. In fact, when Solomon ultimately had made his request, God said, You didn't ask for length of life. You didn't ask for military victories over your enemies. You didn't ask for enlargement of the borders of Israel. God said, you ask for a wise and understanding heart, and I will grant it, and also grant you those things for which you did not ask. Solomon, in fact, in light of asking, he said, I know not how to come in or go out. I am a need, God, of your guidance and your blessing so that I can judge properly. Are not you and I in parallel situations to his? Though we may not be the president of the country or in a position of a judge or a king, we are nonetheless humble individuals desirous of living approvedly and pleasingly before Him. We need His blessings in the form of wisdom to live rightly day by day. That's the kind of thing for which Jabez prayed. Perhaps one final observation. It is, however, an inappropriate thing to merely pray for the abundance of God's blessings if we are not interested in being those who follow His will. Even as God through Moses told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 15, I would especially ask you to notice verses 4 and 5. Moses specifically told Israel, God will pour out blessings upon you if you will follow him with obedience and turn yourself over to be a diligent follower of that which he has commanded. That's when Israel would know her greatest blessings and when she would occupy the land of Canaan in great abundance. A somewhat lengthy presentation in Deuteronomy 28 reminds us that that chapter is divided into two parts. The first 14 verses of that chapter describe the bountiful blessings that Israel would enjoy when she followed God's commandments with diligence. Verses 15 through 68, a far longer section of that chapter, describe in vivid detail what would befall her if and when she chose to disobey Him. All you and I need do is recall the latter Old Testament history to remember that verses 15 to 68 
describe in minute detail what later would befall her when she, in the time of the judges, fell into the hands of her oppressors, and when later in the Babylonian captivity she was hauled away from her land and her people were slaughtered and killed. All of that was prophesied by Moses years before it occurred, all because Israel would not be obedient. Many of those blessings she would lose. Maybe Jabez appreciated then that when he asked for God to bless him, notice again he was more honorable than his brethren. Maybe many ideas of wisdom were characteristic of Jabez as he strove to live in a pleasing way and an obedient way before God. But notice also yet a third lesson in appreciation also of the next element of that verse. Notice he says, "...enlarge my coast." A very intriguing statement to, 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 in fact, say the least. It would seem from a perusal of the Hebrew words that go into that makeup, this is what it appears to be saying more explicitly and more exactly. It means to make many my border, or to make many my coast, or to make many my territory. It would seem that Jabez expressly had in mind the physical blessings that were in regard to him. We understand how important it was in that day to have at least enough territory to have a flock that could graze and in order to make an opportunity to thus provide for oneself and one's family. It may well be then that Jabez was merely petitioning God to allow an abundance of enough physical things to provide for himself, to meet the physical needs of himself and family. There again is nothing inappropriate about that kind of request either. I've listed some passages for your consideration reminding us that God is the giver of all such kinds of blessings as those. Even the rainfall, Job chapters 28 and 36 tell us even that comes from His bountiful hand. The food that we enjoy was such abundance again all from Him. Psalm 145, merely one example of many others. Perhaps one that comes so quickly to mind is the statement made by our Savior in verse 11 of Matthew 6. In the model prayer, recall Jesus there said, Give us this day our daily bread. How appropriate it is then to petition God to give us or make available to us the very food that we enjoy from day to day. That is a wonderful thing to help us appreciate then that He is the giver of these blessings and gifts. Perhaps finally, Paul exemplified that thought himself in Acts 27. Here was a man who, in fact, had just endured shipwreck, and even at this point, they were not completely out of harm's way. Yet in the midst of that two-week storm there on the Mediterranean Sea, we notice that God had promised Paul that so long as everyone will stay in this ship, no one will lose their life, though all the cargo was lost. On that occasion, what little food they had left, it says Paul gave thanks, break it, and gave it to them. God was the giver of that food even to be enjoyed in the midst of shipwreck on the Mediterranean. Interesting, isn't it, to notice the thankfulness that Paul did spare and that he ushered toward God for the bounty of that food that they were then enjoying. To consider then the statement made by Jabez, we're gaining a rather complimentary picture of this man, though so little is stated about him. But notice also something else to be uttered. He also stated in verse 10, And that thine hand might be with me. 
May I suggest that it thus seems that Jabez increases or raises the degree of his consideration just a bit. This is not merely for a physical thing like food or to enlarge a coast. He now explicitly prays that God's hand would be with him. That's very suggestive. And it's also very telling. For in order to pray that God's hand be with, say, you or me, would mean to, in effect, say that we would be those doers of His will, and hence we could be instruments in the hand of the great God of heaven to accomplish His will in the midst of the world in which we live. That's a rather powerful expression, to pray that we could be that instrumental in bringing about the accomplishment of His will. And yet Jabez prayed, God, that your hand might be with me. I've listed some other thoughts that we might each consider in regard to that. How often the Bible reminds us of issues that seem to be so closely related to this one. One very memorable scene is found in 2 Chronicles 15. On that occasion, the prophet Azariah came before King Asa, and he had something very interesting to tell him. He specifically said to Asa, The Lord will be with you while you are with him. Let's pause to think about that a moment. The Lord will be with you while you are with him. And furthermore, if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Notice that God is not arbitrarily with those who reject his will. He has not made promise in his scriptures to exhort and to lift up those who are rebellious to his commands and the things that he has given. In fact, isn't it true that on the very day of judgment, individuals like that, God won't be with them. He will in fact pour out his vengeance and wrath because they have rejected the love he offered in the gift of his son. Rather, we notice not only in that instance concerning Azariah and Asa, Perhaps in James 4 verse 8, isn't it till still true that we read, Draw nine to him, and he will draw nine to you. When you and I have an humble spirit, desire us to ever let the word of God lead us into the pathways God would have us to tread, God will be with us, and he will support and encourage and aid us in the activities and things before us. But if we are rebellious to his will, striving not to allow his word to be our guide, but presumptuously doing that which we prefer despite what he says. God has made no promise to be with us every step of the way and to, in fact, support and encourage us along the difficulties of life. That thought maybe leads us to two more verses. In Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen. this was in the midst now of the Babylonian captivity or in the days shortly before it. As Jeremiah prophesied and spoke to this people whose heart was hard, so few of them were interested in following God. He very pointedly told them that if you will seek God with all your heart, you will find Him. Isn't that interesting? When you and I today will seek Him with our whole heart, recall what the Lord promised. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Matthew 7 beginning in verse 11. For isn't it true the next verse says, To him that asketh, it shall be given. To him that seeketh, he shall find. And to those that knock, the door shall be opened. Matthew 7 again verse number 11. The characteristic then of seeking God in the way that must have been characteristic of Jabez 
with especially the thought that God granted this request that must speak greatly about the life that Jabez chose to live. Is it not also fair to say that there's one other aspect in this verse? One closing thought in this prayer that Jabez uttered. Might we notice it's to be found in the statement that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. Evil is a grievous thing. Throughout the scriptures, from opening chapter of Genesis to the closing one of Revelation, wickedness, evil, iniquity are painted in such dark light, and for good reason. They stand opposite and opposed to all that God represents. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, verses 5 and 6. It is thus the case that when Jabez prayed that thou wouldest keep me from evil, isn't it still true the way of the transgressor is hard? Proverbs thirteen fifteen. The transgressor today is sometimes those for whom we can remember and appreciate some of the statements of the psalmist. David on more than one occasion prayed, God, how can the wicked prosper so much and your people seem to suffer? May we never lose sight of the fact that is only a temporary apparition. Those that are wicked, those that are evil, those that are separate and apart from God's way may only physically appear to prosper. Spiritually, they are dead, Ephesians 2 verse 1. And on the day of judgment forevermore, unless they've repented before then, they shall forever regret the sorriness of their decision here not to come to know the Savior. The apparition of temporal versus eternal is a matter that our mind must always remember that may cloud our perspective here. But notice, that which is eternal must ever be the perspective for us to know truly what it means to prosper and what it means not to prosper. That thought again returns us to this text, that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. I mentioned a bit earlier in the lesson tonight that his name would turn out to be significant again. Remember, Jabez means to be in pain or to be sorrowful or to be grieved. It seems to be here that he makes note of that very meaning of his name. That thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. Jabez prayed thus that his name would not be the descriptive feature of the principal portions of his life. Not to be grieved. He prayed that God would keep him from evil. It may be you and I don't have a name that means wicked or evil, and we hope that our parents wouldn't have named us something like that. But isn't it still pertinent to appreciate that Jesus, in fact, stated something pretty similar to this in Matthew chapter 6. The very last sentiment in the model prayer was this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice again how similar that reads to the text that Jabez uttered thousands of years before. Very interesting, isn't it? And if you and I are faithful, and if we are desirous of being pleasing to God, our prayer likely will say something similar to that still. That we will have enough wisdom to see the fiery darts that the devil's casting our way. That we'll have enough perspective and enough eternal consideration to make the decisions that are wise. And to, in fact... Stay aside or turn aside from that which is evil. James, in the opening chapter of the epistle that bears his name, 
stated beginning in verse 13 of that opening chapter. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It is not the case that God specifically and directly brings evil on anyone. The tempter does that. However, we can pray that God will bless us with sufficient perspective and wisdom and that He will allow us to come to know enough of His will to where we can say it is written like the Savior did in Matthew the fourth chapter. When the Satan tempted him, Jesus did not sin. You and I too, with enough knowledge of God's Word and with His guidance and direction in our life, we too might sidestep the tempter and to in fact not fall into the traps that He may set before us. The interesting prayer of Jabez in this text. Some other thoughts that we might use to close this final section of our lesson tonight are those that I've listed near the bottom of this screen. How often we find in the Bible an encouragement on our part to let the Scriptures be the guide for us day by day. In Psalm 119, verse number 9, Is it not still there stated for you and me to consider? Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. A working, operational knowledge of the Word of God will go so far to help us in wisdom and in perspective recognize what lay before us. The notion that closes verse number 10 is perhaps a fair way to conclude our lesson tonight. And the summary statement of the conclusion is very powerful indeed. And God granted him that which he requested. We have learned some valiant and valuable lessons as we've studied the prayer of Jabez. And perhaps one of the greatest of all might be a brief statement to this, to this effect. God granted his request. What he prayed apparently was backed up by a life of sufficient godliness that God showered upon him the degree of those things for which he had requested. Today, you and I are promised that God will hear the prayers of a faithful individual. 1 Peter 3 verse 12, for example. Doesn't that help us see then that when we pray and live a life dedicated to his cause, that God, by virtue of his wisdom and being infinite at that, he will grant us the things for which we have requested. That helps us see that prayer is that powerful. God in heaven hears and he answers and he listens. It's a wonderful thing then to see a life dedicated to his cause and God was pleased with that prayer. What about your prayers tonight? As you think about your prayer life and as you think about God granting your request, May each of us be dedicated enough to live a life for which the same thing could be said of us as it was of Jabez. May we, in fact, pray with wisdom for things that are physical, for things that are spiritual, praying that God would be with us. All of that are so things for which Jabez prayed. But in order to have God hearing and answering your prayers, if you reach that age of accountability, you need to have a linkage with Him. You need to be a member of His family. Are you a Christian tonight? We read in John 9, 31, We know the Lord heareth not sinners. That doesn't mean, of course, the recognition that He hears no one. We know as faithful children, we are not cataloged in that same regard as the way the word is used there. If you are a faithful child of God, God's promised to hear you. 
Do you have that association with him? If you're not a member of his body tonight, the opportunity is presented. In a moment, we're going to stand and hymn a song together. Have you then believed Jesus to be the Son of God? Have you repented of your sins? Have you confessed his name as the Son of God? Have you been baptized? That could be accomplished so very quickly. You could become a member of the blessed body. If you have become a Christian at some former time, but your life has not been indicative of a Christian, it's been rather indicative of the fact that perhaps the devil is the one who you've been following. Jesus said that of some in his day in John 8, 44. If you need to make a change in your life, that could also be accomplished through prayer, of course, with your repentance and confession, and we'd be honored to aid you in that way too. If either of these things would be the need of your life tonight, wouldn't you let it be known at once while together we stand and while we sing?